Welcome back to The Ovum. This is your host, Karen, aka Mamps. As you know, The Ovum is all about African women sharing experiences and encounters. As they say, charity begins at home. So we figured the best way to start off this journey is to have us as your hosts share some of our own experiences as women and hopefully educate, encourage, and inspire some of you in some way to share your own experiences with us. I'm joined today by a beautiful, brave, and fierce woman who also happens to be your host, Marilyn. Marilyn, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you, Miss Kay? So I'm sure everyone is dying to know, who is Marilyn? Well, as Karen did say, my name is Marilyn. Most people call me Maswanda or Chpamtoro, depending on where you're from, or Marils. I am a lawyer by profession. I am a lover of life. I am a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm a girlfriend. I do love that part. <laughs> She's a girlfriend. <laughs> I'm a girlfriend. I definitely love that part. And I am an endo warrior. I think that's really just, yeah. Okay, so when you say, I guess there, there are three things I want to ask. The first one. Mm-hmm. How do we get to Chipamutoro? Like, because I know that's your Instagram handle. And I remember the first time I saw it, I was like, Chipamutoro? Yeah. Where is that coming from? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so, firstly, I'm Shona, for anyone who does not know that. And in the Shona culture, people have totems. And I come from the Shumba clan, right? The Shumbas are the lions. And usually, Shumba women are called Maswanda. However, there's an alternative name, and the alternative name is Chipam Toro. So ever since I was probably about 18, 19, my mom called me that, and the name just latched on to pretty much everyone else. So everyone calls me Chipam Toro. It's actually sometimes Chippas, depending on who's excited about me. So that's basically Ooh. what it means. My mother calls me Chippas. Oh my God, calling you Chippas. That is cool. So like everyone has their clan name in Zimbabwe. Exactly. Like, oh, mine's Mampofu, and that's mm-hmm. why you guys see Mamps in my handle. Exactly. But it's Oshihera. Exactly. But I prefer Mampo these days. Achihera. <laughs> mm-hmm. Achihera. Yeah. I mean, listen, culture and clans, that is a topic for another day. I would actually be very interested in hearing people's takes on people and their totems and characteristics and traits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that definitely. Would actually, that would actually be something very fascinating. So, yeah, that's basically my name. So, that's question number one. Question number two. Question number two. You spoke about Endo Warrior. What's an Endo Warrior? It's a fresh term. I mean, I know what it is, but I know mm-hmm. people are obviously curious, those of us who don't know what an Endo Warrior is. Okay, so the name comes from the condition endometriosis. However, those who live with it, those who experience it, call themselves endo warriors because you are one of those people who has this condition, but then you fight. It's literally you telling this condition that, listen, yes, you exist in my body and yes, you may honestly be trying to wreak havoc in my reproductive system, but you know what? I'm fighting back. So I can be fighting back with, exactly. So I could be fighting back with a support system, drugs, hormone therapy, more support system, sleep, and a whole lot of other things. So we Endo Warriors, we have what we call our arsenal. Well, I have an arsenal of things that, you know, I do just to fight this condition. That's awesome and actually pretty, pretty inspiring. It's nice when, well, to see how a lot of women who suffer from endometriosis have been able to harness their experiences Mm -hmm. and fight and come up with such a beautiful 
whole term, yeah. which is positive. Yeah. I guess the third question was girlfriend. Yes, girl. <laughs> I don't think I've ever met someone who's more proud to be yes, a girlfriend. Yes, girl. Yes, girl. I mean, everyone, <laughs> anyone who follows me on Instagram, anyone who is my contact on WhatsApp knows that if there's anything I enjoy, truly, truly enjoy in this life, it is being <laughs> a girlfriend and it's yeah. it's, it's honestly being a girlfriend and I think it's not just being a girlfriend it's being this particular gentleman girlfriend to be honest with you I mean if it was any other John Matuetwe it yeah it would just be this random but this yeah I, I enjoy being a girlfriend mm -hmm. yeah I think, yes, I think Marilyn needs to develop a girlfriend's guide because mm -hmm. she is like, and it's amazing just to see how long you guys have been together and still it's mm -hmm. like the first day. Yes, girl. If you follow her, you'll even think, oh my gosh, is the wedding next week every nope. time? Because nope. the love is just amazing. Guys, <laughs> That's just how amazing guys, it is. <laughs> it, you know, Carrie, you understand me. You get where I'm coming from. You know the yeah. things I've been through. So when we get here, you know, and someone asks me, you know, what prayer did you use for this to happen? If I faced Mecca, I'll tell you that I faced Mecca. If I did not face Mecca and I said, dear God, please, those were the words, then I, w I will teach you in the girlfriend's guide, you know, because guys, love's nice. Love's nice. That's yeah. all I can say. Mm -hmm. And I mean, if I have to add to that, like, here's one thing about Marilyn. If you go to her house, she has a wall with like little notes stuck up. You know, the prayer wall, war room wall. She mm -hmm. has that, like mm -hmm. her prayer notes with everything. Yes. It's amazing. It's beautiful. It's so, true. When she says she's got the prayer points, she's got the prayer points. I'm genuinely <laughs> not joking. They're there. So, Marilyn, tell us a bit about your past. Like, where did you grow up? How did you end up being a lawyer? That's an interesting story. But I was born where Karen was born. Uh, we're actually mm. born two weeks apart. Yes. I come from a little known plantation called Triangle. It's not even a town. It's a sugar estate, to be very honest with you. It's very small. So I was born there. I was raised there. I lived there until I was five. Moved from there. Moved to Harare. I was in Harare from when I was six up until I was in Form 1. And then we moved back to Triangle. So basically, I am a Triangle person. I think my journey to becoming a lawyer started when I was seven years old. I remember quite distinctly that there was a day that my dad really, I think he had reached his limit with me and my talking. And he's like, you know what? You talk too much. You probably should become a lawyer. And I was like, what is a lawyer? I was seven. I didn't know what that was. And I was like, dad said I should become a lawyer. So I am going to know what a lawyer is. I was seven years old. I just knew that there were people who went and argued things. And from there, it was like, a, okay, I'm going to be a lawyer. Yes, yes, I'm going to be a lawyer. And from then on, seven up until now that has been the dream well the thought so yeah it's not as if you know i have like a great speech about you know rights and everything no it wasn't rights it was just my dad who said i talked a lot and well here we are that's beautiful and i mean i agree marilyn can talk firstly i'm actually a lawyer who does not go to court just so i'm you surprised know. by that like just i'm so like you know I am not. Give that girl a mic. No. <laughs> you see, this is the thing, you see. I am not one of those lawyers. I'm not a litigator. I know that for a fact, mm -hmm. that I'm not a litigator. I'm not someone who is trying to be in front of a judge, submitting and making all sorts of averments. I'm not one of those people. I like transactions. I like understanding how money is working in the legal context. I like to see how structures 
are going to be developed using legal language, using the law. That's what I like. That's me. I like words. That's good. And I like money. So Oh yeah, you yeah. like money. I like money. <laughs> I guess we now know where the money's at. <laughs> so for me, when I picked my practice area, it was what made sense to me. I've always liked property law ever since I was a little kid. I used to find it so fascinating to sit and, you know, look at the classifieds and like look and see, oh, there's a house wherever, wherever. It's a three bedroom, four bathroom, and it's for sale and wherever, wherever. I used to find that so fascinating. And I guess that's where it started. And now that's what I do. I transfer people's properties and they make me happy. So yeah. In our previous episode, we spoke a lot about womanhood and just the female journey or our own personal journeys as females. Mm. And I want to ask you, yeah. what in your past has influenced you as a woman now? Like your womanhood, your journey to self-discovery as a woman? Oh my goodness. Um, well, I would say my mother and all the females around me. But quite a lot of my journey is... I guess from the experiences that I have had, because I think with a lot of African women, I know it's very difficult for mothers to relate to their girl children. Like I know that when my sister was becoming a woman, right? Pretty much like you, the way that your mom gave you a book is the way that my mom gave my sister a book. And just that was one of those figure yourself out. And that's that. For me, it was, I guess, more because now she had learned what to do with her first daughter. So she tried to have a bit more of a conversation about being a woman and, you know, that kind of sort of environment that, okay, so this is a woman, this is womanhood. But I guess it was probably defined, obviously, by the Great Flood. You know, the Great Flood, that flood. That is where womanhood was defined. <laughs> so for me, it's really just that, obviously from my mom, but quite a lot from what I learned on my own because, you know, my mom, not because she didn't love me, but because we're African. It's very difficult to relate yeah. to, you know, your daughter on that kind of level when you've been taught that, no, you just sort of figure yourself out. Yeah, basically. That is true. Mm. And, and I think a lot of the times you find that our parents' generation mm. grew up in a completely different world to the one that they brought us into. Yeah. A lot of us grew up, our parents are either first generation graduates or we ourselves are the first generation mm. graduates. Mm. And some of them, a lot of them grew up in the village. Yeah. Whereas now we were brought up in the towns, mm. in the locations. Yeah. My born location is what they call <laughs> born free. <laughs> right. We'll say in triangle, we'll say born my yard. Fences and you know, when you pools and when you green grass. Yeah. We knew all of that stuff. We were like yard kids. And our, and our mothers didn't know how to relate to half the experiences we were going Yes, through. because... Yeah. So mothering was completely different. Exactly. Because, I mean, how bad do you relate? Sorry, I'm back to Shona. Someone who grew up in the village and now this yard baby who's busy telling you about all the sports she needs to do and all of that. How are you going to explain that to her? They just, yeah, they just, I probably they just shut down and they just said, you know what? They'll figure themselves out. That's true. God takes care of everyone. And he does. I mean, we turned out pretty good. Well, I, was, I would like to think turned out pretty good. Hey, you know what? There were lots of corners <laughs> and there were lots of obstacles. But you know what? We're fine. I think we're fine. Mm -hmm. So I guess it brings me to my next question. Mm -hmm. What would you say are some of the experiences that you've had as a woman that made you feel like you weren't woman enough? I think probably because of the profession that I'm in. Um, when you are a lawyer, 
and you are a woman, you always have got to work twice as hard just to be half as good. And if you work in any of the leading firms, you know for a fact that it's a big boys club. And you always feel like because of your, I guess, your body and, you know, your psyche, you can't probably match what the boys are doing because sometimes you, you are sort of, you have to lag behind because you're not eating well. You're not up to it. You're not, okay, not because you're not capable, but because your body itself decides to betray you and you're sort of there and you're just, yeah. I think for me, the most difficult thing and probably the one thing which has really, really made me feel like I am not a woman and I'm not woman enough in my actual body because we have fought each other for I don't even know how many years. So yeah, it's the body. Okay, speaking about your body, and I assume here we're referring to endometriosis mm. and the experience that you've had. Yeah. So tell me a bit, like when did when did you discover you had this problem or when did you start to experience some of the symptoms? It probably actually was high school when I was in upper six for those who are not Zimbabwean upper six and for South African friends upper six is like grade 12 so matric which is like your final yeah. year so, of, yeah. of high school final year so senior year you write these exams these international exams and I remember that I had such debilitating period pain it was so intense that I couldn't work walk I couldn't go to school I, I was bleeding so so heavily Just, it was ridiculous I had to be pulled out of school I was in boarding school and my mom had to come and get me because I couldn't even write exams and I went home I went I went and I saw my doctor and he put me on the pill my mother was very reluctant about that and there were a lot of questions that he asked you know have you been having heavy periods and I've had heavy periods pretty much my whole life probably with the exception of when I started but I've had heavy periods I used to clot I used to get very sick I used to have back pain leg pain all sorts of pain so I think it started back then in upper six but no one could you know say it was endometriosis it was dysmenorrhea as far as they were concerned and dysmenorrhea is just really really heavy periods and really really painful periods and that was that so it started back then progress um i think when i was in first year I got admitted um, when I had come home for, I think it was June holiday, and I was told that I had appendicitis. That was the first time. They were like, yeah, you have appendicitis, and we're admitting you so that we can lower your white blood cell count. And that's what they defined it as. It was appendicitis. But it was extremely intense pain. We carried on, fast forward a few more years, still had really ridiculous period pain. Then 2016, I developed a lump on my groin and at the time I was on so with South African medical aids you are placed with a scheme doctor so you only can go and see your scheme doctor if you belong to that particular medical aid it's not a chosen doctor it's the doctor that the scheme puts you on so I remember I was put on this scheme I was on discovery and I could only see this one doctor and I went and I told him and I said listen doctor this is what's going on in my body I have a lump and it's on my groin and he said no you have a skin infection I was like hey what skin infection he said yes it's a skin infection you probably have a skin infection from shaving and I said firstly I don't shave I wax so I do not promote <laughs> No, when you said I don't shave for a second there, I wanted to be like, oh. No, okay. no, girl. I wax, okay? Like, waxing does the job, okay? <laughs> yeah, well, you cannot live with all of that going on down there. Sure, please don't. You know. Mm -hmm. So, 
I was like to him, I don't shave, I whack. So this cannot make sense. And he said, no, it must be. And, you know, him and I argued and we argued for a pretty long time. So in the end, I decided to go and seek a second opinion. And I went to a doctor who I had been going to. But unfortunately, because of the medical aid that I was on, I couldn't go and see him. So in the end, I just said, let me just pay cash because this is getting intense. So I go and I see the doctor, the doctor examines me, he says, let's do an ultrasound. And then we do an ultrasound and then he says, oh, I see, it looks like you've got a cyst, an ovarian cyst. And then he explains and he says, no, with ovarian cysts, it's usually because the egg would not have passed through the fallopian tubes and it's probably stuck there. But with time, it will disintegrate and it will dislodge, right? So then armed with this ultrasound of mine, I go back to my scheme doctor and I say, doctor, this is what the other doctor found out. To tell you, Karen, that I was thrown out of his surgery. Told, he what? said that, firstly, I went and I ratted him out to another doctor. Number two, I did not take what he said at face value. And so, therefore, he wasn't going to treat me anymore. He threw me out of his surgery. As soon as he saw me, I was like, tell this girl to get out. I'm not seeing her because she doesn't wow. listen. You know, I have never, I was so shocked. At the time, I don't think I'd ever been so shocked in my life. At the time, that was 2016. I had been, I was shocked. That is crazy. And you know, imagine being in a foreign country, you're sick, no one can understand what's going on with you, and someone then throws you out of their surgery. So I remember I wrote this very long letter of complaint to the medical aid. You know, it became this whole thing. The doctor then asked for reconciliation. I had no time for that. I was not listening to that because I was in so much pain and I wasn't going to tolerate any of that. So... Fast forward, I then got a referral from the doctor that I had seen to go and see a gynecologist and went to go see the gynecologist. The gynecologist was just really interested in giving me um, an IUD, you know, that coil thing that you just stick yeah, up with yeah. her. Yeah, he was very interested in giving me that. I, I still don't know why, just don't know. But then he then did an ultrasound and he said, yeah, no, you had an ovarian cyst, but it burst. We see, showed me what he thought was the liquid and he said, yeah, don't worry, it's disintegrating. As your doctor said, this is what's happening. So we just move on with life. Fast forward 2017, same thing. I had that lump and the lump seemed to be getting bigger. And I noticed that it would always sort of fill up around the time that I had my period and then after my period ended it would just sort of lie silent but it was you know it was very painful it was very difficult and I didn't understand so I lived like that for I think from 2017 2018 2019 we got to 2019 and I was and I had just started my internship at work and you know I was really on track to be an associate and I was so proud of myself and you know things were going so great and then I just got sick I would be unable to move I'd be unable to walk it was just you know debilitating pain now remember I told you that I love being a girlfriend there's mm -hmm. a reason I love being a girlfriend yeah. Let me tell you that this poor man, you know, he has seen many things. God must bless him very richly because he has seen some things. I remember in July, it got to a point where I couldn't walk. I couldn't do anything. I was so swollen because now instead of the growth going away when I was on my period, it would harden and it would grow and grow and grow and grow. And it would get to a point where I couldn't walk at all, at all, at all. So it was July and, you know, this is where I am. This man said, no, we're going to the doctor. We've got to go to the doctor. We went to the doctor. We went and we saw a specialist physician who said, you have a hernia. I was like, hernia? 
how do, do people i didn't i don't know how the mechanics of hernias work but i was very sure that that was not correct but i'm not a doctor and, and i'm thinking the anatomy mm. of where where a hernia mm. is mm. and where your pain is but they were, those are two separate exactly. places so i was like hey, i was like you know what Maybe they're things that I don't know because I remember he did, you know, all the tests for a hernia because when you have a hernia, you cough and there's supposed to be a bulge. So I'm pretty sure he assumed that when he felt the bulge, it was a bulge. And he, in his mind, said, this is what it is. It, there's nothing else to do. So this is what he concluded. And me being me, I went for a second opinion, got my second opinion. The other surgeon said, yes, that's very true. You have a hernia. I agree. So what we're going to do is we're going to schedule you for surgery, right? And I'm a homebody and everyone in my family knows that. So I had to go all the way to Triangle to have my surgery done because I was not going to have a surgery here in Harare where I'm not surrounded with fluffy toys and soup and people bringing <laughs> it to me, you know. So I went home for this surgery, had the surgery done, and everyone was very pleased. You know, the, the surgeon was very pleased with the way that my stitches healed and, you know, the way that I was, you know, recovering. And obviously I had to take time off of work and that was a huge worry for me. But, you know, my bosses were very understanding and they said, you know what, this girl needs to get herself sorted out. It's not fair to have someone die. So after the surgery i'm thinking you know we're finally on the road to recovery a month after the surgery karen if i tell you that i was in some other level of pain i couldn't for the life of me understand what it was that happened it was just ridiculous ridiculous pain the whole time so i went to the doctor the first time told him this is what's going on he prescribed very very strong painkillers if anyone is involved and they know that stopping is the answer to everyone's problems life <laughs> yes true. so he prescribed stopping and remember, i think it was diclofenac and something else it was a cocktail of painkillers sent me on my merry way two weeks later i was back in his surgery doctor this is not working you know i don't know what's going on i still feel there's a pain i still feel like there's a lump you feel it you tell me what's going on he felt it and he said this is very strange you know i really feel like we repaired the hernia did an ultrasound check yes for sure you know where he thought he had done what he was supposed to do. It was working out. Then he said, no, what I think is going on with you is you have nerve damage from the surgery. I said, nerve damage? I mean, I already have nerve damage in my neck. So I know what nerve pain feels like. So this is not sounding correct. But as I said, I'm not a doctor. So anyways, he gave me this very painful injection and he said, it's a nerve blocker. I'm going to feel much better. And he sent me on my merry way. A week later, I was back in the surgery. And in his mind, this girl just wanted drugs. This is really it. And I, I felt a bit crazy because I kept going back to say, but you've said you fixed me, but why am I not okay? So I kept going back and I think it got up to almost Christmas time. And I'm just still in a lot of pain. People at work can't understand why a person who went for surgery is not getting any better. I'm just miserable. I'm sick. And that was me up until the end of 2019. Then we usher ourselves into 2020. And I think that's really just where we disintegrated into absolute, absolute chaos. So, yeah, it, it, it really was something of 2020. Honestly, you know, 2020 for a lot of people has just been COVID and sadness. But, you know, for me, shoo, I don't know. This year, yeah. So you're telling me all the way up until 2020, mm. or I guess all the way through to 2019, yeah. you, you didn't know it was endometriosis. No. 
you were just suffering. People, I, listen, I had with no there answers. There were no answers. I had appendicitis. I had a hernia. I had what did that man say? A skin reaction. I it just it was a lot, and you know things like that really start to weigh on the brain. Because you start to feel like you're crazy, but you are in so much pain and no one is giving you answers, you know, which make any logical sense. But the one thing which I kept doing was I kept asking. So I bugged that doctor until he said, okay, but you know what? I think maybe let my partner talk to you because my partner is actually the one who did the surgery, not me. Maybe he can explain to you what happened because I think he said you know what I'm actually this girl I can't next person so it was his partner who then said "Eh, this does not seem like a hernia this seems like you have something called endometriosis but I'm not very sure maybe we should speak to a gynecologist and he was so kind enough to recommend a gynecologist who used to be my doctor and then she decided to specialize in gynecology and she came through and she spoke to me and when I spoke to her about my symptoms you know it wasn't even a question for her she said listen this is endo I can tell you I think I know your doctor yes she's She's exactly so she said listen this is endometriosis I can tell you in my sleep that it's it I don't know what stage it is but this is endo I'm going to send you for a, a lot of tests but at the same time I genuinely think that you need to speak to an endometrial specialist and this is right before lockdown so you know now I'm you know very excited about the fact that someone actually knows what's wrong with me and I'm not going to die so she put me on a birth control and she gave me some mild medication. It was very mild. When I say mild, it, it I mean it didn't help. But, you know, for all intents and purposes, she was her heart was in the right place. So put me on that medication. And then I was on that med- medication. I was on the birth control. And, you know, we were hoping that things would get better. Things did not get better. Things were pretty horrible, actually, to, to be very honest with you. And then lockdown happened. So we had been doing a lot of research about endometrial specialists and you know we knew there was one who was in Cape Town who really helped you know one of my sister's colleagues and you know we were very geared up for going to go see that person and now the borders are closed flights have been suspended and now I felt stuck and now I got really really sick if I said I was sick in July 2019 no I wasn't sick I actually wasn't lockdown was when it happened really yeah now I was just swollen all the time there was no sort of time frame where let's say I'm on my period I'm ovulating and I was just swollen all the time I would hardly walk I would hardly do anything I would just take meds and sleep that's all I ever used to do and it was affecting pretty much everything got back to work when it was sort of not locked down when we were in that funny space in Zim. And now I was on very, very strong medication. And I started messing up at work because half the time I was so zonked out of my mind. And, I, you know, the pain, you know, when you are on a very, very strong opiate and that opiate is not working, that's where we were. Yes, like it was really bad. There is a drug. Any person who has endometriosis will tell you that there is a drug that we are given called tramadol. And tramadol is supposed to solve all your problems. It really is. If, you know, your endo is under control. If you take your tramadol, you take your diclofenac, you take your, I think your celecoxib as well. can't really remember what concoction I was on. That should suppress the pain that you're in. It, it wasn't working. It, all systems were not a go at the time. And it, oof, Karen. Yeah, that was, 
That is it, it was a really, really difficult time. And I think the worst thing was the fact that I had to keep quiet about it because I was so afraid that if I then tell my bosses again, I need to go for surgery. I mean, I was out for a month the year before. Now I'm asking to go away again. And on top of that, I'm doing so badly at work. You know, it, it just didn't really seem like a good look. You know, I would get home, I would cry because I really wanted to do well at my job. I really wanted to, you know, be normal. But I couldn't be because I was so, so sick. So it was just, it was a lot. It really was a lot. Um, I know that I... It sounds yeah, like a lot. It yeah. really does. So, you know, I, I was very depressed. I felt very isolated. Um, I was in a lot of pain. And, you know, it actually took one of, the partners saying, listen, this is not, you are not yourself. Something is going on and you need to tell us what it is that's going on because this, it's affecting everything. It affects your entire performance. We know you're not fine. What is it? It was only then where I then said, okay, fine, this is what's wrong with me. And I think that's where we began. You know, someone finally knew this is what's going on with me. Then I explained and I explained the fact that the endometrial specialist was in Cape Town. So I wouldn't know how to get there. And I wouldn't know what to do. And, you know, everyone was sort of like trying to brainstorm and trying to see what to do. And then I listened to someone's Instagram live. It was on an Instagram live. And there was a lady who had endometriosis who was being interviewed. And she is here in Zimbabwe. And she then said... We must have been yes, tonight. Uh -huh. yes. And the lady, it was fine. I listened to her story and I sat there and I said, what, there is there someone who can help me here? I went and I asked, so Tendi Babe is my sister-in-law's friend. So I then went and I was like to my sister-in-law, Titi Linda, I need Tendi's number because Tendi has the gynecologist's number. I need that person's number because they may be help for me, you know? And then I spoke to Tendi. She gave me the number. And then I finally got to speak to this doctor. Turns out that this doctor was taught by my mother in Triangle. He's a Triangle person. Yes. yes. Triangle brings the best all the cures. time. <laughs> they bring cures. That's what they bring. So this doctor um, was taught by my mom. His name is Dr. Matevege. He's honestly, he's amazing. To be honest with you, top-notch human being. And finally, you know, after I could say 12 years of struggling with something, I finally met someone who took me through it, understood me, did not make me feel crazy, did not make me feel like I was panicking about things, did not make me feel like, you know, I'm not functional. I finally got an explanation as to what is actually going on with me. And for sure, for sure, it really was endometriosis. And I then finally had my surgery. And by the time that the growth I had was removed, it was about the size of a golf ball. And I was walking around with this little golf ball, you know, in my groin this whole time. You know, whenever I would go on my period, it would bleed. Whenever I was ovulating, it thought it was ovulating. So it literally was like having a second uterus, just walking around, you know, in your groin. So, yeah, that, that, that basically should be the summation of my entire endo journey. I know it's been long, ladies, but thank you for listening. No, I think it's very helpful. And I think even when you mentioned the whole thing um, of listening to the Instagram mm. live, like Candy Babe's Instagram yeah. live, that made a difference to you mm. now. Because she does a lot of great work around women's health and just nutrition and living yeah. better, making better decisions around mm -hmm. our bodies. So you guys should definitely check her out. It makes 
makes you see that sharing stories like this makes a difference. If that one Instagram live helped you find a doctor who helped you address your mm. pain for the first time mm. in 12 years, then it's amazing. I mean, you sharing the story, all it takes is one person who's had a similar experience to listen in and figure out, okay, that's the doctor mm. I need to see. Mm. So yeah. that's great. So I'm curious, like, what does the pain feel okay. like? I don't know. Because, I, I mean, most women... We know. I mean, they've, they've, they've had period pain and I'm like, is this what endometriosis feels like all the time? Or is it? And everyone's like, no, it's not that bad. So I'm curious because I mean, I'll give you a description of what normal period mm -hmm. pain feels mm -hmm. like for me. It feels like a headache, but it's like in your basically uterus area. And then that's like your mild thump, thump mm. pain. Like someone's, someone's punched you and it's like achy, achy pain. And then when it's bad period pain, sometimes you feel like a sharp uh -huh. stabbing. Like once in a while, you'll feel like a stabbing. You literally stop to uh -huh. do what you're doing. Yeah. And then I guess the other pain you feel sometimes is like a scrapey, scrapey pain. Like literally something in there is scraping and the blood is flowing down and it's flowing down. So what does endometriosis feel so, like? For me, right, the stabbing, the stabbing is intense. It re Is it, it continuous? continuous. Um, to just tell you, I named my lump. We called her Gladys. So, no, I, you know this, Karen, about me. I name everything in life. I name pretty much everything. That is I true. I named everything and I named her Gladys, right? And, you know, Gladys would wake me up at night. Do you know what it feels like to feel like there is a person who is stabbing you with a knife in your sleep? It would be that. There would be the stabbing. There would be the being swollen. I was always very puffy and I couldn't understand how on earth am I so puffy? There was, yeah, so there was the stabbing, there was being swollen. And because I have such heavy periods and I clot, clotting feels like someone has stuck their hand up there and they're pulling, you know, that's that is down. True. It's it's because I've clotted a few times and it's like something is someone is trying like to grab it, like, like scraping it or pulling it in it's, there. It's the <laughs> scraping, it's the pulling. And then it really is that the sharp pain which stops you dead. You know, you will stop in your tracks. I think most women will, will know that pain because I know I, I get it once in a while. In your Like it's not continuous, but when you get it, you it's, stop. So, so I guess... Me, endometriosis like that exactly. continuously it's, like stop exactly step. it's that and then it is the migraine which cannot be cured by anything you literally sit in the dark the whole time and you just be like god you know if you're gonna take me take me now i mean this there's no need for this this is not fair on anyone so there is that um there is oh the how can i forget the tender breasts i i oh. just you know i just that that is a that is a yeah when you say tender can you describe that i mean we read about it all the time and i'm like what is a tender boob a tender boob is a sore boob karen it is a boob which just being poked you know wearing a bra is probably the most violent thing you can do to them at that time because you have to sort of put them in there and they're sort of you know sort of packed in there and then taking it off oh yeah like yeah. The breast tenderness is just, it's, yeah. So I think basically those, those were the symptoms. And how frequently did you feel that pain? Like, was it every month, like around like period time and for how long? So at first it used to just be around my period and I used to have intense ovulation pain. I could tell you which tube I was ovulating from. I could tell you if it was left. I could tell you if it was right. 
I could tell you and I could tell you where it was because my little egg would move down and take probably about eight hours just to move to where it's supposed to be going. So I had intense ovulation pain and it used to be ovulation pain, then it would be PMS, then it would be the period. So it was con- a continuous cycle of pain, but it would be varying degrees of pain. The last days before the surgery, the pain was just consistent. It did not matter what time of the month it was. It was just consistent. Wow, that is intense. So, yeah. But I mean, it's nice to know what it feels like in case anyone out there is feeling the same way. And just mm-hmm. for the rest of us, because sometimes I feel like people are insensitive about these things. I know yeah. a few women or girls when we were growing up who people would just say, oh, anejeko. That's like mm-hmm. a way of saying she has period pain. Like it's a mm-hmm. thing. And I'm like, that's not normal. And I know a young lady, well, she's now older, who literally <laughs> used to be in so much pain. She was a family friend. She'd go into her bathtub and mm. sit in there with hot water and people would be like, oh, jekorake, atombwe. <laughs> oh, God. Aywa. That's like a way of just saying her period pain is so intense. She's always Mm. in pain. They would say it like it's normal. And And they'd be like, oh, and she gets so crazy around that time. And I'm like, at the time it was normal. But now that I'm grown, I'm like, wow, that poor girl is suffering. And it's not normal. And you know, the thing is, the other thing which people always forget is the fact that because you are sort of going through all of this, your emotional health is just in tatters it really is it's really it's awful because some people are very emotional because of their period i remember there was a day that i was ovulating and i remember i went to okay which is a supermarket here in Zim. i went to okay and i wanted to buy beef i got to the meat fridges and i couldn't find beef and i almost started crying there was an old man who was standing next to me. And for the life of him, he could not understand. He's like, and I looked at him and I was like, ah. I couldn't explain to him that I can't find the blade that I wanted to eat. So there's no blade. Now I don't know what to do. Now I'm just standing here trying to see the next best thing, but nothing was good. And now I'm just emotional and I don't know why. The day after that, my period arrived and I was like, oh, God, that, that was that was why. why. Yeah, I'm afraid. <laughs> So it's things like that, but I don't want to label men and say men will say that you're crazy, but then men will say that you're being crazy. And Mm -hmm. it's not great. It's not because I'm being crazy. It's my hormone. It's really painful. Yeah. And it's it's painful. painful. Yeah. So how did you deal with all of that? Especially from the emotional mental health perspective, like, because I know a lot was going on, mm, you mentioned, and yeah. work and trying to trying to get people to understand and obviously trying to act like everything's okay. Mm. How did you cope with all of that? Let me tell you this, therapy works. For anyone who ever wants to doubt anything, therapy works and there's absolutely no shame in going to get help. That's true. I had quite a bit of counseling, obviously not just from my therapist, but then from my family. I think the one thing which I appreciate is the fact that my family is very, very supportive. My whole life, I've not had the best health. And my parents, my siblings, cousins, friends, they've always been very, very supportive. The fact that I'm not the strongest human being physically. And they have, you know, sort of been the mental support that I need for me to get through the things that I need to get through. So I had immense support. That's really just it. 
my sister would sometimes, I would call my sister sometimes and I would just be crying because I was, you know, in so much pain or I was so upset about something. I will just be crying. She, she didn't know what was going on. She would just let me cry and then she'd tell me, cut the phone, go wash your face and let's talk about what's going on. It really just, yeah, it was the support that system. That is sweet. Mm, mm, it's yeah, the support she, she system. She is awesome, so. Yes, <laughs> she is, guys. Definitely. So in terms of getting, like, help through therapy, Mm. Was that before you even knew what it was? Like mm, mm, mm. that whole experience of trying to figure out what it was, is that what you'd say attributed to you actually needing that extra help? No, I think the thing is previous things which happened led me to therapy, but this incident took me back to therapy. So it's not something which I was unfamiliar with. I've been familiar with therapy for quite a while, but this then, you know, told me, okay, you know what, we need to go back. Because, you know, it's helped before and it's something which can continue to, you know, help in True. this instance. Yeah. So it, it's one of those things that, yeah, I, I recommend it to anyone. This is really not, it doesn't mean that there's something wrong with you. It definitely should be something you should consider. It it, yeah, it does. Definitely. Well, I'm glad. And I mean, I'm curious, like for those who do have that kind of pain, Mm. Even before you go to the doctor, are there any tips or things you could share? What made it better or what made you able to sleep? Like, did you eat something specific? Did you sleep in a specific position? Did you exercise just to cope with the pain before and after? You know, to be honest, I only discovered, you know, sort of like about how your diet affects your symptoms and your flare-ups and all that. I discovered this like probably like way later in the journey. And if I'm very honest, you know, I don't think that I've actually followed any of the things that I've been taught. Probably because I'm just trying to figure myself out. It's one of yeah. them just trying to figure myself out. The one thing that I do know is that for me, whenever I was trying to sort of cope with it, whenever I was trying to, um, when I'd go through a flare up, I'd make sure that I have my hot water bottle. Sometimes I'd have to switch on my electric blanket. Because the other strange thing is you get these strange night sweats, which are not like night sweats. It's almost like having a fever. I don't know what that had to do with it, but, you know, there was that. Yes, definitely painkillers are your friend, to be honest. Painkillers are your friend. Um, chamomile tea is also very good because it also calms you down while you're drinking it. Taking a bath, like right before bed, a nice warm, warm bath right before bed. Making sure that you're warm. I don't really know. Warmth made me feel better. And I would sleep with a little pillow under my back. That would usually help me quite a bit. Yeah, that was it. But the one thing which I, I know may seem sort of obvious, but you need to be very kind to yourself during that time because it's not your fault. What you're going through is it's not as if you did something to yourself. There's Genuinely, they've actually, they still don't know what causes endometriosis. So it's not as if it's something which you went off and you did to yourself. If you just have it, you have it. And you have to be very kind to yourself. You, if you want to take care of yourself, you want to, you know, eat whatever you're craving, do that. You know, do that. Be kind to yourself. That's really what I think. That's great advice. Mm. It's really great advice. We all need to be nice to ourselves and be kind to our bodies as well. Yeah, not trying yeah. to push ourselves no. outside of what we're capable of doing and give ourselves time. Exactly. Sometimes it takes time. Yeah. Exactly. I think the other thing which we all 
well, something which I learned when I started to see my doctor is the fact that the disease has stages. There are four different stages. So you could have stage one, stage two, stage three, stage four. And if you have stage four, which is the worst, this is when you now have the endometrial lining growing, maybe like in your intestines and your intestines are sticking together and, you know, it's growing all over your uterus, all over your um, fallopian tubes. Probably that is the worst that it can be. But you can have stage four endometriosis and feel almost no pain and have stage one endometriosis and have the most excruciating pain. It really does not matter what stage the pain varies and my experience is not going to be like your experience because a person can have endometriosis and not have any symptoms whatsoever so that's amazing i had i had no idea about the stages and all of that yeah so i also didn't have any idea about that until you know my doctor then sat me down there's actually a little wheel that he showed me it's like a little chart which has like you know the different sort of cycles that you go through and all of that So, you know, it's a complex disease and it's a less known Mm -hmm. disease. So it's one of those things that people are still sort of trying to study it. Because even the type of endometriosis that I have is very rare. I have inguinal endometriosis, which happens in the groin. And it's something which, I can't remember what the statistic was, but I think he said something like 1 in 45 women who have endometriosis will have inguinal endometriosis wow that's so yeah so he did tell me that my type of endometriosis is rare and because mine is rare and is different from someone else's it means that my symptoms and someone else's symptoms may not actually be the same however there are common you know sort of factors the painful period should be the first indicator that something is wrong so wow yeah, you 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 definitely should go and see your gynecologist. Painful periods are not normal, ladies. No matter what they tell you, and they tell you shinga, which means be brave. Painful periods are not normal. That is true, and I I'm, I mean I'm curious because I know in Zimbabwe things are very different. Here you can literally just wake up and go see your doctor, mm. any type of specialist if you feel like it. Yeah. Um, I guess if you have the money or the what do we call it? medical aid. Yeah. Mm. So my question is, how do you go about seeing a gynecologist in Zim? Can you just book yourself? Do you need a referral? So if you are a medical aid patient, you are expected to have a referral from your GP to the gynecologist. Um, If you're a cash patient, you can just go to the gynecologist. The one thing that I do know is that when you're paying cash, it's pretty expensive. So a lot of people then use the medical aid route. And unless you are one of those people who's very, very specific about your gynecologist, you may just then be put with the gynecologist who goes with your medical aid scheme. Unless you actually say, no, I specifically want to go see this doctor, please write a referral to this doctor. You sort of have to be a bit proactive about it. Wow, that's hard. Yeah, it's difficult. And the other thing with Zim is that we don't really encourage um, gynecology visits simply because, you know, you only go to the gynecologist when you're pregnant or if something very, you know, traumatic or disturbing has happened to your reproductive area. But you don't go there normally. It's not like going to go see mm-hmm. the dentist or going to go and see, you know, your GP for your annual checkup. We don't really encourage it. And I think that's something which needs to change. That's true. Because, I mean, everywhere else in the world, and I was shocked when I moved here, 
Mm. Um, I did my annual visit and that's where they discovered um, that I had fibroids. But for example, back home, I'll do an annual visit with the regular doctor. Mm. But when I eventually went to my gynecologist, she was like, don't bother going to see your GP. Come here because we're going to do exactly the same thing. Mm. But except we're equipped to then handle whatever needs to be done. We, we're the ones who will perform the surgery. Yeah, We're the ones yeah. who will tell you exactly what's going on inside. So annual checkups ideally should be done with your gynecologist. And yeah. I mean, for Zimbabwe, that's something probably that we all need to try and work towards getting that ability for women to be able to see a gynecologist at least once a year. Yeah, yeah, that's very, very true. That's very true. Because I think it would probably decrease the number of these, you know, feminine issues that we have and probably raising a bit more awareness about the fact that there are certain things which are not normal. Because as you explained that time um, when you were talking about your, your family friend who just really had, Lord knows what she had, you know, she could have had anything. She could have had P plus, she could have had endo, she could have had fibroids, she could have had anything. But it was just boiled down to an Egypt and that yeah. was the conclusion. But if we were to be able to get to a point where we raise awareness and, you know, explain to women that there are certain things which are not normal, you should not be experiencing A, B, C, D, E. If you do experience that, it's necessary for you to go see someone so i think we we have a long way to go but it's not something which is impossible it's something which we can do and i think we should invest in you know raising that kind of awareness and sort of trying to decrease the the number of these you know horrific horrific cases that we continue to experience well that's lovely well i guess the last question i have for you is what advice would you give to other women who are just generally to women or the younger you girl <laughs> girl <laughs> um, yeah girl you know i would have told you not to do all the things that you did but you know what that that's a story for another day but i will tell anyone who is listening that you must fight for your voice make sure that your voice is never ever silenced you have a say you have an opinion you are as capable as anyone. It really does not matter that you have appendages on the front and someone does not have appendages on the front and they're a boy and they have a deeper voice. You are capable. That is the one thing you must know as a woman. And your superpower is the fact that you handle all these things. You are a mother, you are a wife, you are a sister, and you're a boss babe. You are capable. I love them, boss babes. <laughs> okay so i guess maybe what i would ask you is so based on all these experiences mm -hmm. what made you decide that you want to be on the ovum and and basically host the ovum for me it really was the experience that i had you know over the past 12 years you know i don't think i've ever spoken about you know my experience in as much depth as i've spoken about it today it was actually when I was speaking, I thought, oh, goodness, it's actually been happening for 12 years. And it has been a very, very difficult journey for me, being misunderstood, not being seen, not being recognized, being made to feel like I was a drug addict, being made to feel like I was crazy. You know, it was a very, very isolated journey. And I never, ever want another woman to go through that. I don't want to have someone that I know or care about or someone who I don't even know you know, going through that very same experience. And I felt that something like the Ovum was going to be a platform to raise awareness 
to make sure that no other women have to go through that. For them to know that there is help out there, there is someone who cares, there is someone who can help, and there is someone who can relate. That's beautiful. Well, everyone, I guess you can look forward to hearing more from Marilyn. She's one of your hosts, and a lot of you probably can resonate with her story. So be sure to get in touch with her, get in touch with us on The Ovum. And Marilyn, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing your story. It means a lot, and I know it takes a lot to share a part of yourself with total strangers and the world at large. So I appreciate you taking this time and joining us here on The Ovum. Thanks, Mams. Thanks, Mams. All right. So looking forward to hearing from you all. Give us your feedback. Share your stories with us. We'd love to hear from you and to connect with you. And until next time, we'll meet you again on The Ovum. 